Terry Bradshaw, does everyone in here know who Terry Bradshaw is? We have a picture of Terry, just to remind you. Terry Bradshaw is a Tech graduate. He was a great football player at Louisiana Tech. If you don't know much about football, the next few things I'm going to tell you are indicators that he was a great football player. He was the number one person drafted in the 1970 draft. He played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. For many years, led them to four Super Bowl titles. He was the MVP, the most valuable player of two Super Bowls. He went on and he was put in the NFL Hall of Fame, which is the highest honor you could have. He was put in the Collegiate Football Hall of Fame, an extremely high honor. He acted some, still does. He sang a little bit, even cut a song or two, an album. He is uh, weekly during football season. He is on TV as an NFL commentator and broadcaster. You probably knew a lot of those things about him. You may or may not remember several years ago when Terry came out and talked about some of his struggles he had with emotional and psychological issues. He talked about having deep depression and deep anxiety, about sleepless nights, about times when he would cry and he just couldn't seem to stop crying, being diagnosed with clinical depression. And for, for years, he would avoid going back to Pittsburgh Steelers reunion and everyone thought he was snubbing them or not being kind. But what he said was he could not handle being in front of crowds anymore. The TV studio he could handle, but not the large crowds. You know, when I hear a story like that, it comforts me because it lets us know that no matter how tough you are, he's obviously a very tough person, or accomplished you are, you can struggle with keeping yourself grounded emotionally and psychologically in this world. We are in the 23rd Psalm again this morning. We were there last week, verse 1 through 3. We're in 4 through 6 this morning. We've got two more sermons in our series on being sane in an insane world this morning. Then next week we have a special guest speaker, and then we'll close it out in two weeks. Psalms 23, 23rd Psalm, very familiar, but man, it's simple, but it is so profound. Let's begin with this. I really believe that the thing I'm going to try to drive home with you this morning is one of the absolute keys to psychological and emotional and spiritual health. Number one, we have a wonderful God. If you get nothing else, you come away with nothing else this morning, you need to get a hold of this, that we have a wonderful God. Folks, if you've studied much of world religions, not all religions uh, lift their God up as great. Some have mean gods, some have hostile gods, some have gods that are distant or that uh, are very hard to please. Our God is is just, our God is holy, but our God... The, the main manifestation of our God is love and mercy. We have a wonderful God. Now, folks, studies have shown how you view God is going to have a tremendous effect on you, not only spiritually, but psychologically. The Bible teaches this, too. The Bible talks about where we have faith and we trust God, how that works out, versus not having faith, not trusting God, how that works out. But some studies I've seen recently, how you view God, if you believe we have a loving God and a caring God and a God that wants to help you and be involved in your life, and if you believe we have a God that can help you and wants to help you, that's going to be tremendously important in what kind of person you are and how healthy and joyful you are. I want to just begin reminding you the God of the Bible is a wonderful God, and that's so important to put your feet and get a hold of and never let that go. As we look through the 23rd Psalm, there's four things I want to share with you this morning, and here's the first one. Our wonderful God will walk through with you 
in the darkest times of your life. When you go through the worst times, the darkest times, the hardest times of your life, God will be with you. Most of you know this passage well. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for God is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. We have a picture, two pictures of the valley of the shadow of death. You see that chicken walking in front of the Kentucky Fried Chicken sign? That's a bold chicken, isn't it? We have another one right behind it. Can you see the kitty cat? That's pretty crazy. I guess they, uh, that's modern pharmaceuticals kept that dogs from attacking that cat. I don't know how they did that. In Palestine, where Jesus lived, where David lived a thousand years before Jesus, we are told there was literally a valley of the shadow of death. A place like this literally existed somewhere in between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea where, where it's a great drop uh, in your incline. This valley was a very dangerous place. It had sharp curves, a place that sheep could easily fall off and get hurt. It had places that was easy for criminals, bandits to hide and to be able to steal your sheep or kill your sheep or kill you. It was a place where there were snakes. It was a place where coyotes and wolves and things like that, again, could easily disguise themselves and attack you suddenly. It was a place where floods could come in quickly. They didn't have their iPhone to know they were going to get alert with a flash flood. I mean, it was a dangerous, dangerous place. And the key, and the key for the sheep's safety walking through that valley was not their intelligence. It was not their intellect. It was not their ability to see or hear or their black belts and Brazilian jiu-jitsu that got the sheep through it. It was their shepherd. It all depended on the shepherd. If they had a great shepherd, they were in good shape. It says, he will be with me, his rod and his staff, he will comfort me. Think of the rod as a baseball bat. They were two to three feet long normally. So it's not like a little nightstick. I mean, it is like a baseball bat. And shepherds were experts at using these to, they could punish their sheep with them, but also to protect their sheep. I mentioned Philip Keller last week, who was a, uh, a shepherd in South Africa for many years and a Christian man, and he sheds a lot of light on shepherds. And again, the Bible talks about God as a shepherd and us as a sheep. Philip Keller said when he was growing up years ago, they were beginning to go to rifles instead of clubs, which made sense, but he still saw a lot of people carry these clubs, the shepherds. He said they practiced all the time, and they not only, I always thought the club you would use to fight off, and he said they would use it like a baseball bat, but they also were experts at throwing them. He said he saw literally a cobra pop up, and a shepherd in, in like one second took that club, threw it, hit that cobra, and killed it. So they were experts at using those clubs to kill and defend for their sheep. King David talks about when he was a boy. This is incredible that he killed bears and lions with his club. That's a bad mamma jamma, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I'm going to sacrifice some sheep to get away from the lions and the bears, aren't you? David goes and fights them. And it says the shepherd not only protects with a club, but the shepherd has a, a staff. A staff was a longer instrument. You know, it looks like a candy cane. And they would use this to gently push their sheep and guide their sheep. But also, if they're walking along and the sheep fell off and was fixing to fall off a cliff to its death, they could reach down there with that staff because these things were stout and pull that sheep up. See, here's what, here's what the shepherd is saying to us, that when the sheep walk through the darkest, scariest place, that when they had a good shepherd, he had the tools and the knowledge and the power to protect them. This isn't an agricultural lesson, though. 
It's a spiritual lesson. It's a psychological lesson. The valley of the shadow of death in the Hebrew, and the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. If you're taking notes, this is interesting. It literally means the darkest valley, the blackest shadow. The blackest shadow, the darkest valley. It's synonymous with the grave, with calamity. Listen to this. This is interesting. The valley of the shadow of death is synonymous with inner anguish, being innerly torn up. What about King David who's writing this? Did he know inner anguish? Yeah. When he was a young boy, he fought a a giant and he killed him. He was a hero, but then the king, who had psychological issues of his own, turned on David. And for years, the king, psycho king, tried to kill David. He had to run for his life for uh, on and off for a long time. Then David becomes king. As a king, he goes to battles. He has wars. He has things he has to uh, face all the time. Then he gets a little bit lazy. Some of us may be close to this spiritually. And he stays home one time when he's supposed to go out to war. And he sees a beautiful woman bathing. He has her come to him. He commits adultery. Happens to be one of his good friend's wives. She gets pregnant. Here's how David covers it up. He murders her, murders him, and marries her. He has a baby die. He lives with the guilt of the adultery and the murder, I'm sure, the rest of his life. Then he has a son who rapes his half-sister, David's daughter. And then her full brother comes later and kills that brother. How many of you think you have a dysfunctional family? Read the Bible. There, it started in Genesis 4 when Cain killed Abel. I get tickled. People go, my family's dysfunctional. Every family is weird. We just hide it differently. Amen? Amen. And then David's son, who murders his son, tries to kill David and take over the kingdom. That is stressful. Would you agree with that? Then his son dies brutally. You read the book of Psalms, man, you, you would have to be not real sharp if you've read it much to know David had anxiety issues, depression issues, sleepless nights. So when David talks about going through the shadow, shadow of the valley of death, he's not just talking about the sheep. He's talking about his heart and his life. And what he said was no matter how dark it gets, no matter how depressed you may get, no matter how anxious you may be, no matter, young people, how overwhelmed you may be, if you will connect yourself with God and stay connected with God, you've got a God who can walk you through the valley, who's got the equipment to see you through the valley, and He's not promising it's not going to be hard, but He will see you every step of the way. Isn't that great? Man, that's great. Martin Luther King, Jr., famous person, 1956, Cindy was 10 or 11. I was 20 years away from being born then. Just a joke. My wife was not born, and I was 10 years away from being born. But anyway, 1956, even though that wasn't good probably, uh, Martin Luther King gets home late one evening. He lays down, goes to sleep, and he gets a phone call at 2 in the morning. This happened a lot to him. Somebody said, hey, I'm going to come kill you, kill your wife, kill your kids. Isn't that a great phone call? So he gets up, and he goes to the kitchen. He can't go back to sleep. Can you blame him? He said he's crying. He's reading his Bible. He's just about had enough. And he said, God whispers in his ear, I'll never fail you nor forsake you. Martin, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. He said in that darkest night of his life that God spoke to him and said, no matter what you face, buddy, it's never going to be too hot in the kitchen for me. That's the God we have. 
And I want to tell you, I don't know what you're facing, grief, anxiety, overwhelm, but I want to promise you the Bible says that we have a God who will walk through the darkest valley with us. That's wonderful. Here's the second thing. He can take care of you in life's most uncomfortable situations. Did David have uncomfortable situations? The king's trying to kill you. Your your kids are raping and killing each other. Your kingdom's trying to get overthrown by your son. Yeah, David had a lot of uncomfortable situations. Forty million people in America struggle with anxiety. Sadly, anxiety is beginning to overtake depression as our number one mental health issue. A lot of people who may not struggle with anxiety day in and day out struggle with situation, situational anxiety. Young people, you do. I do. We all do. That first date, that blind date. See, they got cell phones now. That's cheating. I've had blind dates before where you, sh- you showed up and poof, they were there. And let me tell you, it wasn't always good. And I'm sure there were girls that walked away saying, it wasn't good on their end either. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that. Maybe it's, maybe it's batting in softball or baseball. Maybe it's making that speech or whatever. Did you know the number one fear Americans have is public speaking and death is too? We would rather die than speak. Hey, you want to speak? No, just kill me. <laughs> isn't that, isn't that, we're weird. We're weird. I believe me, I've wanted to die sometimes instead of preaching, but we understand situational, uncomfortable. Listen, God never told you that you're going to go through life and never be sad, never feel uncomfortable, but he's going to tell you something even better in just a moment. He's going to tell you something better. I read this story of this supermodel this week, 20 years old, beautiful, and you'd think that she was the coolest customer ever, but she said before she has photo shoots, she is she vomits. She'll go put her head in her pillow and scream. She was doing something at the beach recently. She said she got away from everybody. She was screaming because we a lot, of, a lot of situations are just uncomfortable. They just tear us up. Look in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. A lot of times in Jesus and David's day, they called the pastures tables because that's literally where the sheep would eat. And, and they say that the pastures over in that part of the country, be true here, are dangerous places a lot of times. And Philip Keller talks about, as a boy, they would go out in the late winter. They would go, they, a lot of times they'd hire teenagers to do this, go through the fields, poisonous weeds, weeds that could kill the sheep or make them deathly sick. they meticulously go through and, and, and t- get those up, destroy them. Then they would put salt in the field. Then they would put minerals in the field. And then when the spring came, the pastures were beautiful and they were full. They would bring those sheep out there. There's wolves around. There's coyotes around. There's snakes around. But there's a shepherd standing with them. And, and he says the coolest thing, the sheep don't even realize what a dangerous spot that they're in. But when they've got the good shepherd, they're in great shape. And they eat well, and they lay down, and they sleep. That, what a beautiful picture. And look at the last of this. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Sheep, a lot of times, will get scabs on their heads. Sometimes they're button heads playing around. But if, if it's left untreated, it can get infected, and it can kill them. And so they would anoint the head with oil. That was an olive oil and some sulfur and spices to Keep that infection from happening. Plus, anointing with oil was something you did to a special guest. 
Also, there was, this is pretty gross, but there was a thing called a nasal fly that would literally get up in the sheep's noses, hatch larvae, and of course, sheep don't know what's going on. All they know is there's something really bad going on in their head. And the sheep sometimes would beat their heads against rocks until it killed them because of the pain they were experiencing. To anoint with oil, they, the shepherd would put it on their heads and on their noses, and it would keep those flies from getting up in their noses. My cup overflows. Sometimes the shepherd would take sheep where there wasn't streams or there wasn't water, but they always made sure they had an earthen water jar with them. And those sheep would come sometimes and just lay on the shepherd, and the shepherd would give them, literally like we would give a baby or somebody a cup to drink. See, here's what God says. Are you going to have uncomfortable situations only if you're living, only if you're doing life? But God says no matter how uncomfortable the situation is, no matter how hard the situation is, I will be with you every step of the way. I'll meet your needs. I will see you through it. What a cool thing. Here's the third thing he says. that As we go through life, God can give us his special love and goodness. All of our life. There's no end to it. See, a lot of people are anxious because they don't know what lies ahead. What's going to happen in life? A lot of times we're depressed because we don't know what's going to happen. Go watch the news for two hours this afternoon and then call Brandon in the morning. You may be depressed. You know who Putin is? It's not somebody that lives in Dubai. You know who Putin is? The guy lives in Moscow. Putin said Thursday. I won't try to use his Russian. We have weapons. We will kill you. But what he said was, he said, we have weapons you can't stop. We can shoot weapons at you and you can't stop them. We can blow you up and kill you. First of all, I don't think that's true. But secondly, that makes you a little nervous. I'm getting dressed thinking, should I put on a bulletproof vest? I mean, wow, that's pretty uncomfortable. University of, University of Michigan several years ago surveyed a lot of people and they asked them, are you hopeful about the future? Do you have hope when you look for the future? 80% of the people said no. Said no, we don't have hope when we look to the future. Look at the first part of verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. If you're taking notes, write this down. That word goodness means what's joyful and happy. Mercy is one of the great Old Testament words. It means a loving kindness, an unfailing loving kindness kindness. And when it says follow, really that word is almost a little deceptive. It means it will chase after us. Here's what God says. God says you are going to have pain. You're going to have uncertainty. You're going to have to trust me. There could be wars. There could be issues. But God says if you will stop pursuing money first, career first, job first, Everything else first and pursue me. If you pursue me, follow me and stay with me. Loving kindness and goodness and mercy. My loving kindness and goodness and mercy is going to chase after you and catch you all of your life. Life may be very hard, but God says, I will give you a good and positive quality of life no matter what's going on around. Listen, if we could bottle that, we would be billionaires. You can't bottle it, but God says, I promise that to you. Listen, a depressed person sees no good in the future. An anxious person's dreading tomorrow. And someone who's overwhelmed looks and says, I can't make it tomorrow. 
And God says, yes, you can. In fact, not only can you make it, but if you will stay with me, I will give you the best, most joyful, good life that's possible. And here's the last thing he tells us this morning. We can face death victoriously. Remember, death's our number two fear. You want to speak or you want to die? We want to die. But it is a very real fear. Most people, most people, or a lot of people, even Christians, people who have a certainty of eternity, it's not maybe dying, it's how we're going to die, correct? George Washington, George Washington was the first president of our country. And he had a terrible fear of being buried alive. Now, in our era where you embalm people, you are not going to be buried alive, okay? It's, it's, that's not going to happen anymore. 200 years ago, it was a reality. How many of you ever heard of a funeral watch, that term, a watch? If you haven't, here's what it meant. And this is kind of grotesque. Let's say it's somebody that you weren't close to, a great, great, great aunt that you've never met, but she dies. 200 years ago, they would bring her into your cabin. That was the funeral home. And they'd clean her up and put her on a table or chairs and whatever in the den. And you would watch. People would come by to give their condolence and all that. But you watched your great-great-great-aunt. Because if she moved, she ain't dead. Are you following me? How many of you think the watch was important 200 years ago? I guarantee it was. And, and the bad thing is, teenagers, I know how it would have been at my house. We would have had to stay. We would have been given the 2 to 4 a.m. You know, time to watch, which would have been terrible. We've, we have a fear of that. Listen, a lot of times people who are anxious or have panic attacks, anxiety attacks, especially when it happens, you feel like you're having a heart attack, you're sweating, you go to the hospital, you get checked. Hopefully it's not your heart, but it's still not real comforting to know that it's, just, it's, it's your, you're panicking. And, and a lot of times if that continues, what happens is that person lives with that fear, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. I've had people who have been depressed tell me this, I'm just, death, I, death just scares me. I'm talking about people who've been depressed for several years saying, I just think when I look at this life and this is it, this is it and then we die and it's over, it's very depressing. Look what it says in the end of verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Listen, David was not a psychopath. David wasn't saying, hey, I can't wait to die. I hope it's today. David wasn't saying that, but what David was saying was because he had a relationship with God, he could look at death and say, I don't know what's on the other side, but I know God is on the other side, and I'm not going to fear it. I'm not going to be depressed about it. I'm not going to be anxious about it. I'm not going to speed it up. But when it comes, and it's coming for everybody in this room at some point, because I have a relationship with God, when I die, I am walking into the presence of God. Look, that's good stuff. Billy Graham just died. Recently, his funeral was this last week, and it was on TV. If you got a chance to go back and watch it, it probably will be again. You need to. It's just a great spiritual funeral. He was asked several years ago, did he fear death? And his response was great, which he always gave great responses. What he said was, he goes, the process or how I may die, he goes, you know, there's always a little apprehension with that if you're normal. 
But he said, do I fear what's going to happen after I'm dead? Absolutely not. Because, you see, I gave my life to Christ as a teenager. And Jesus is my shepherd. And he tells me when I die, not because I was a famous preacher, but because I had a relationship with him, that he's going to take my hand and walk me into heaven. Do you have that assurance this morning? Years ago, a friend of mine was in a prison. He was talking to an inmate about becoming a Christian. And he said, hey, you know, you, you, you repent of your sins, you trust Jesus, and you'll have eternal life. And he said, that guy teared up, and he goes, man, my life's been terrible. I don't want to live forever. And my friend took the time to say, look, I understand what you're saying, you don't have a choice. You're going to live forever. We're all eternal. The Bible says there's two options. There's eternal death, which is hell, which is really bad. Or there's eternal life. And eternal death, eternal just means non-ending. Eternal life doesn't mean you just live on. It's a quality of life. It's life in the presence of God. If you're anxious and you're depressed or you're overwhelmed with the thought of death, make sure you belong to Christ. Because he promises us there's no valley too dark here on this earth. And that when we leave this earth, if we belong to him, we're going to walk right into his presence. we got a wonderful God. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I pray God's spoken to your heart. I pray if you need to move back in a relationship with Him, you will. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, or you're unsure if you're a Christian, and you're ready to cross that line with Jesus, pray with me this morning. And just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. And Jesus, I, I accept that you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart today. And I give you my life, Jesus. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a second. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. Maybe you just asked Jesus into your life or you're ready to do that. I'd be happy to talk to you after church. I'll be standing right over here. Be other ministers around. Or you can, you can come when we stand. You can come this morning and you can talk to one of our guys and cross that line with Jesus. Listen, you don't need to leave here today without having a relationship with Christ. You've got an opportunity you may never have again. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to join our church. We'd love for you to. You can do that after church. Or when we stand, you can come this morning. You need a church home spiritually, psychologically, social. You need a church home. Come and join us today. God's leading you to. You're a Christian. Man, maybe you just want to come for prayer. Maybe where you're standing, you do need to get back under the good shepherd again. The choice is ours. You have a wonderful God. Will you let him rule your life and bless your life? Let's stand. You respond. Let's respond as God leads us.